Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. We're seeing the church step up for adoption, for foster care, for helping out work in refugee camps. We've got a lot of, I don't know, junk going on in the world right now. But it seems like it's almost, uh, you know, we've been in boot camp for all these years, and now is the time that Christ is calling us to serve. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. Hi, I'm Paul Perot with Gabe. And if you were to talk to those who work in child welfare, you'd hear that since spring, there has been a huge drop in the number of reported child abuse cases, not because of massive improvements in overall family health, but because of COVID-19 leading to more isolation of families and thus a drop in reporting. There's a concern, though, that many families on the edge of dysfunction and abuse beforehand may have gotten worse with the lockdown. Some child welfare experts are concerned that as kids head back to school in the coming weeks, the number of reported cases of abuse and neglect will skyrocket. Many kids will end up, if only for a time, in foster care. This may be a big challenge, but Gabe, one the church can be a key part in addressing. Thus, our conversation today. What I'm excited about with this conversation is us taking a little more of a deep dive into an area that we don't always know a lot about, and it's the idea of vulnerable children in the U.S., Many times we're aware of what's happening internationally, sometimes more than what's happening in our backyard. And this has been an important conversation for us at Q to be having over so many years. And Chris is an expert in this. We heard Chris at the start of the show. You two recorded a conversation that we'll get to a bit later. But first, Gabe, we've talked previously on Q Ideas about foster care and how the church can join with government, business, and others to address such a huge need. One conversation you had at a Q conference was with Brian and Julie Mavis of the organization America's Kids Belong. America's Kids Belong works in several states helping churches with a heart to help children in need connect better with agencies placing children in foster care. We want you to hear again a portion of that talk, but first, Gabe, tell us a bit more about the Mavises. Brian and Julie Mavis, who God has called both into this space in different ways, but who together are working to advance a significant movement in American life and in the church as well as in government to start to see those who are part of the foster care system start to find families. And so as they advocate, they really represent so many other organizations as well, and people and churches and pastors and Christians who have gotten on board in the last decade in a significant way with what God's doing to reawaken the church to adoption and foster care. And so I can't wait for you to hear their story and to hear how they did it, to hear what significant results they've already seen from following what God put in front of them to do. And I hope it inspires you. So let's listen into this conversation with Brian and Julie Mavis.
Julie, how did you first get into this whole idea of foster care? How did this encounter you? Well, we were foster parents for five years. And um, during that time, one of the little babies that we had, he was addicted to drugs. And we brought him home from the hospital and had him for nine months. And during that time, um, the caseworker called and said, uh, I need to come over. I need to talk. Something has happened with this case. And so I said, come on over. And she shared that something had gone wrong and he wasn't going to be going back to his birth parents, but he was going to go up for adoption and wanted to know if we would adopt. And I was interested, but at the same time, I just had questions and just said, what would happen if I said, no, what happens to this little guy? And she said, there's a whole line just waiting for the babies. I just wish there was a line waiting for all the other kids. Mm. I was like, well, what other kids? She said, in Colorado alone, there's over 800 kids available for adoption, and nobody knows about these kids, and nobody picks them. And it was just, it was just an injustice. It was unacceptable. And I just kept thinking, well, somebody needs to do something about this, and then really felt called to try to do something about it. So what we ended up doing is, since these kids were forgotten and nobody knew about them, Um, we decided to photograph the kids and videotape them and use um, professional photographers and videographers to give them a face and a voice to connect them with families. And we mainly worked in churches and combining the visual arts and the churches was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, we actually have one example. Here's a picture of a couple of girls, um, Lily and Samaya. So they've been in foster care for three years, uh, legal orphans waiting to be adopted and uh, no one knew about them. And within a month of getting their picture taken and shown in a church, uh, they were uh, chosen and been adopted now for several years by their forever family. That's just one example of this happening hundreds of times. So tell us about the story, Brian, with America's Kids Belong, where something that's been happening in Colorado is now starting to spread to other states. And you've kind of added to not just a grassroots model, but you've gotten strategic about how you're doing it. Would you first just kind of update us on the Colorado story? Where's that at right now? So when we started, uh, as Julie said, there was over 800 kids in Colorado uh, who were legally free to be adopted. We're down to 280 now. And that was a a church movement. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun to just listen to Brian and Julie as a team work on such a, a big cause, something that feels so large and you can actually see through their story how one by one children are starting to find families and more and more states are getting involved and so if you're interested in getting involved with them go to americaskidsbelong.org so that you can see more about if they're working in your state yet and if they're not how you could actually maybe be the advocate that helps bring them to your state and get them involved with the churches in your area it's significant work it's important work this is the kind of work that really not only changes culture long-term, but it really changes people's lives and transforms their experience. It's one of the greatest demonstrations of Christian love and of really showing the world how much our faith leads us to do things that help people, that aren't just about necessarily an opinion or a political belief or something like that, but it's actually making a radical difference in people's lives by sacrificing and stepping forward and saying, we want to be a part of what God wants to do in this child's life. And Gabe, with the potential torrent of kids going into foster care in the next several months as we get out of the pandemic, the church, with its call to hospitality, may be best suited to help out. 
This will be an issue not just in the U.S., but globally. And that brings us to your recent conversation with Chris Poluski of Bethany Christian Services, which works here in the U.S. and around the world. Before we get to that conversation, tell us about Bethany Christian Services. The work of Bethany helps take care of the vulnerable children in the U.S., not only those who need foster care, but also refugees, immigrants, and so many others that many times fall under the radar and don't always have a safety net. And he believes the church, the absolute best solution to this is the church stepping up and stepping forward. And you're going to hear that in his passion for this issue. Chris, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So you and I've known each other. We go way back. You, you know, you've had such extensive work in this nonprofit arena, humanitarian work, really seeing the undersides of how the world operates with the most vulnerable. And I just love that you're at Bethany now. What what for you drove you moving into this space where you said, I'm going to commit my energy and my time towards the work that Bethany's doing for the next season of my life? You know, when I was going through the interview process, I was looking at the organization and, you know, I'd heard of Bethany and I'd heard about pieces of it, but I'd never really known how much and what they were doing on a global scale. And as I was looking at it, it was checking all these boxes, you know, global organization, faith-based, works with refugees, works with vulnerable kids in the U.S. It was like, check, check, check. And I thought, wow, that sounds like a great organization. I'd love to be working with them. So after about 10 interviews and about six months, um, I was welcomed to Bethany based here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, and I think that's important because you used to be with World Relief. You worked with World Vision, all friends and partners of ours. But I took note when you went to Bethany because all the experience you'd had with those other organizations, I knew was going to start to play itself out now with Bethany. And sure enough, it is like there seems to be a new strategy in the way you guys are trying to help the church understand the need and understand how to engage with vulnerable children and more specifically in the U.S. You know, a lot of people hear the brand Bethany and think of adoption, but that's not primarily what you guys are working on. Could you bring us up to speed on Bethany and your work and why you guys are so committed to the vulnerable? Sure. Well, we love adoption and that's how we were started 75 years ago. I like to say two gritty women and they were tough as nails. And they took in a child, you know, it grew, it was foster, there was foster care adoption. Um, we were actually called by Gerald Ford in 75 to help with unaccompanied refugee minors, and the work just continued to spread. So today, where we started off with these two ladies, we're in about 35 states, eight countries, and we've got three primary areas of work. And it's working with vulnerable kids in the U.S. That's trying to keep families together or foster care or foster care adoption when, when needed. We also work with immigrants and refugees, something that's uh, politically dividing, but um, we love refugees and we love, we love working in this space. And then third of all, globally, you know, we used to do a lot of international adoption. Actually, now we're working through by with the church to do in-country adoption, in-country foster care, and also working in refugee camps, working with unaccompanied refugee minors. And this is all through by the church whenever possible. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, you guys have really put your focus on a lot of areas. And one of those I feel like we all agree on, which is how do we help vulnerable children? It's been pretty exciting to see the foster care movement and how much the church has really embraced its role in training and educating parents to become foster care parents. I know in our local church here, there was like nine families for the whole county that could foster. And then the church took it on, Church of the City here in Franklin. And all of a sudden training started to happen. And we started to find that now we have over 100 families trained to take in kids. So these kids, when they need help, there's somebody in their own community that can take them. And instead of them driving 45 minutes to another county, I mean, 
but most people just had no idea. Our church had no idea until we started to ask those questions. But give us a little bit of a state of the union right now on the foster care situation in America and how that's been developing. Are we doing better in that category? Or what, what would you like to see happening more? So right now we are, let's say, screaming from the top of the rooftops that we need foster care families to step up. Our world has become more fragile. We are in the middle of a global pandemic. The economy, it's just gone down. Um, We'll see racial divides like we've never seen before. Our globe is just more fragile than we've ever seen it. And that's also here in the U.S. and it relates to vulnerable kids. So right now, the reporting for um, kids who have been ignored or neglected is down around 50% across the U.S. That doesn't mean that things are better at home. It doesn't mean that there's not a reason for kids to be in foster care. It just means the reporting mechanism isn't there. So most of the time, reporting is done through schools or churches or through friends. But everybody's on lockdown because of corona. So homes that were fragile have become pressure cookers. And I, I believe in the next couple of months, as we see some schools open, we're going to see a lot more reporting. So we're trying to we're get people of faith right now to step up. And we're seeing this, which is great to, you know, it takes a long time to go through the process to become a foster family. But if foster families step up now, we will be prepared for the tsunami of kids that are going to come into the system. Yeah, so you'd predict we're going to see a much bigger increase of need in the coming year based on the pandemic, the economy changing life circumstances, the stress, the pressure that even the medical health challenges that some people are now experiencing. So we need to be prepared for that as we look ahead in 2020 and 21. Absolutely. I mean, this is the time to do it. And it's, it's almost like we're seeing this disaster goulash that's happening right now. You've got just all these different things going on here in the U.S. across the globe. And it just seems like this is the time that God is asking his church, you know, the big C, little C, to step up. Again, we're seeing this. We've seen people of faith step up for foster care. We've seen um, Christians step up to help with uh, refugees and immigrants. And then, you know, our work internationally, we work through the church. So we're seeing the church start to do this. But this just seems like, you know, we've been in boot camp for years, just getting ready for this time. And uh, God is calling us to act and not out of fear, but out of the knowledge that he's in control. So I'm deeply disturbed at the, the state of the world. I mean, I think it's, I described it as a disaster goulash. You've got all these different things going on. But at the same time, it's such the opportunity for Christians to step up um, in you know, places like the foster care space, to, to become a foster family, or even support a person who's doing foster care or family, for churches to, to wrap around, or for churches to help um, immigrants and refugees. You know, they're at the kind of the margin of our society right now. They're the ignored, the forgotten, you know, the ones that Christ spoke about in, in uh, Matthew 25, 40. Or, or even some of the global work, um, you know, we're seeing the church step up um, for adoption, for foster care, for helping out work in refugee camps. So we've got a lot of, I don't know, junk going on in the world right now. But it seems like it's almost, uh, you know, we've been in boot camp for all these years. And now is the time that Christ is calling us to serve and to step up. And we're seeing the church do that. And now is the time. Well, you talk also about your focus on refugees and immigrants. And I feel like the refugee conversation, uh, you go back a few years, and it was a big conversation. People were kind of rattled in the American life of, should we accept refugees? Is Are refugees dangerous? You know, there's all this politicizing of of that conversation. Whereas in American culture, we've always taken in refugees. It's just always been 
part of what we do. Most people, I don't think, totally understood that. But the more you guys have been working in that space, I'm curious how things have changed in the last couple of years. I mean, are we still receiving any refugees? Because as I understand it, we've kind of put a stop on resettlement and that kind of work. So when you work with refugees, are you mostly working with those who already came to the States in, in recent years past? So we saw the number go from about 96,000 a year coming into the U.S. And this year, the cap was put at 18,000. So that number has continued to go down. Um, I think it has been politicized. And that's one thing that used to be bipartisan. It didn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, independent. Um, we could agree upon, you know, we love refugees and they're good for us. They're good for the economy. They're good for our society. They're good for our culture. And I think we've lost that in recent years. I always like to use the example, I'm a refugee. Um, you know, my great-grandfather came over here as a refugee from wars in Eastern Europe. We are a nation of immigrant and refugees. And the refugees that you meet, they've been through this huge vetting process. And they are just wanting to be part of, like, really, the American dream. And the employers that we work with, the churches we work with, they see these people as not the ignored or the forgotten, but really part of their, their neighborhoods. And, uh, yeah, I think we've, we've lost that in recent years, been politicized that these are dangerous people um, in so many ways, shapes, and forms. But when I do hear that, I always ask people, do you know a refugee? If you don't, go out and get to know one, and, and maybe that'll change your mind. If not, you still maybe have a better platform to talk about it, but please, get to know a refugee. Well, and the other thing you guys are doing that's really innovative, and I know in the space of adoption, uh, there's been a lot of movement towards the idea of indigenous adoption and wanting this to take place in the countries that these children are having needs so that those children don't have to leave their culture and they can actually be adopted in their country. And you guys are just making great progress on that. I'd love to get a little state of the union on that too. How is that going related to countries and where are there certain countries where this is having great momentum or some case studies and models you guys are able to now develop and help cast that vision and imagination on how that can take place in other countries as well? Sure. Um, you know, we support agencies that do international adoption, especially ones that focus on special placement need kids. But with Bethany, we've decided to let our accreditation, it'll uh, end up here another year and we'll be finished with it. Um, so we decided to focus on in-country adoption and in-country foster care. And this was started by my predecessor maybe 10 years ago. And Ethiopia was one of the, the starting points for that. And we started with the church. And my predecessor started to talk about the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and um, what the Bible had to say about that. And they started to preach that from the pulpit, that, you know what, it is the church's job to deal with the ignored, the forgotten, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. And uh, it really took root. So in places like Ethiopia, we have done hundreds of in-country adoption, and uh, we have hundreds of foster care cases going on right now, and that's through the church. We're doing this in Ghana. We're doing this in South Africa. Um, we're starting this program in Colombia. We're doing it in places throughout the globe, um, and we're seeing that we are able to find loving families for these vulnerable kids, for kids um, that wouldn't have a home. We're, and I, I don't want to be critical, but we're kind of like the anti-orphanage people that, you know, we want to work with orphanages to empty them. We believe that all those kids in, in an orphanage should be in a loving home. And we realize that those orphanages are there right now, but we want to work with them. So these kids don't have to live within an institution, something the U.S. got rid of about 100 years ago, but they would have a loving home where they could grow. Right. So you're trying to really completely shift 
their vision as even a government of what's possible. And many of those governments probably didn't even realize that the church could be so helpful in that process. And now they're becoming more aware and awake to that. And now that Bethany's also putting focus so much on the U.S. culture, as you look at the landscape ahead, given this pandemic, given the changing way in which even churches are gathering right now and families are connecting and people are feeling a little more distanced, you mentioned earlier that that creates a little bit of an opportunity for the crisis to not be as visible as it once was. And as school starts to reenter, people start to gather, they're going to start to to realize some of the damage that's done. Is the most urgent thing the training and the foster care type training, uh, or is it refugee or immigrant type training? Like what, where's the focus if you had to just sharpen the pencil right now and say, here's where we should put our energy, where would that be? Um, you know, Right now, there's such a need because of the pressure cooker. I feel like I have a pretty good family. I love my family. I love my kids. I love my wife. We get on each other's nerves once in a while because we're stuck together a lot of the time. Um, But in real fragile families that didn't function well even before this crisis, things are not going well. So I would request, I would plead that the church step up and just get involved. Find out about foster care. Um, If you don't want to do foster care, if you feel like, you know, that's just not for me, Find out who in your church is doing foster care, and maybe there's a way you can help out. Um, Because we do believe there's this tsunami of kids coming into care. We would prefer these families could stay together. And even in people's neighborhoods, if you see a family that's maybe having a tough time, what an opportunity to step up and be the hands and feet of Christ to that family to help them to stay together. Um, And again, if that's not possible, then there's foster care. So it it takes time. So I would ask people to sign up for that. And then second of all, uh, not everybody can go overseas and work. Um, And we're working with church partners over there. But we do have immigrants and refugees, which are really at the periphery of our society. I would ask the church, I would ask people of faith, I would ask the body of Christ to, to get to know a foreigner, get to know somebody who's an immigrant or a refugee and learn their story and see if there's a way that you can share Christ's love with them. Because this is the time. This is the time that we're being called. Yeah. And I, and I know one of your passions, Chris, is biblical hospitality. And I can't think of a better time for that to be expressed than right now, because we're in a season where people are almost getting comfortable being distanced from one another and fearful of one another and not sure they should take the risk. Neighbors aren't talking as much. I mean, it's it's really changing the climate. And for Christians, though, we're called to kind of step in in these moments. We don't get the pass to just like escape and pull away and not be engaged. And I know for you, you would rather us put our energy towards that than all the political divisions as Christians and, and to be unique. But how would you explain biblical hospitality, maybe to somebody who's heard the word hospitality, but they didn't quite understand how biblical that concept was. How would you describe it? You know, looking at hospitality, the hospitality of the church, the hospitality of Christ, looking at biblical hospitality, really it's it's being that hands and feet of Christ to, you know, the ignored, the forgotten. And I keep on going back, back to Matthew 25, 40. And for those of you who don't know Matthew 25, 40, it's where um, God separates the sheep and the goats. And the goats were not his chosen, and the sheep were. And the sheep said, well, why did you choose us? And um, he said, well, when you went to visit the prisoner, when you um, looked after the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, um, really the ignored and the forgotten in the message, he's talking about the least of these. He said, when you did that to them, you did that to me. And that's the hospitality that we want to, um, I don't know, live out. 
here at Bethany, um, and we believe the church should be living out too. That's what it's about. Well, I just appreciate the work you guys are doing. I know for years here at Q, we've partnered with Bethany in so many different ways to just try to help the church know how to show up in the lives of children. And I love the strategic ways in which you guys continue to adjust and innovate and move with the time and move with where the need is and also with your continued understanding of how kids flourish most in their own countries with with people that understand their heritage and can raise them up in that. And so uh, thank you for the work you guys are doing and excited for more and more people to connect with you and for churches, you know, listening right now who you understand the need, but you don't always know how to get involved or how to connect. Bethany's going to be a great partner to help you figure that out. Chris, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. Thank you, Kevin. And can I say one last thing? Yes, please. So, you know, I think there's so much fear. I mean, there's fear in the pandemic. There's fear in the economy. There's fear in politics. There's fear of refugees. There's so much fear going on. There's one little thing I kept from my predecessor, Bill Blackwire, who was the CEO before me. And it's this little sign and it's, it's kind of kitschy and it's in gold plate, but it says God is in control. And, you know, I keep that on my window and I look at that every day and I really believe that. So I just want to urge people of faith. There's so much fear out there, but God is in control and now is our time. Thank you, Chris, for that encouragement. And I know everybody will take that to heart. And thank you again for leading in the way you are. And we'll look forward to seeing the progress in the days ahead. Thanks. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. And Gabe, what a great conversation with Chris Polusky. Well, I love hearing Chris's perspective, his passion for this. It's a very thoughtful uh, approach. And if you want to learn more about that, do go to Bethany.org, B-E-T-H-A-N-Y.org to see all that they're doing and see how your church could get involved. See how you locally can be a part of the solution. I want to thank you for being a part of the Q podcast and remind you to subscribe to Q Media. If you don't already, we're continuing to produce more and more original programming. More talks are released. We have more sessions coming up that we want you to be able to take a part of. And all those are designed to just help you as a person of faith know how to navigate this cultural moment well. So I hope you'll join us through Q Media. You can go to qideas.org and click on media and learn more and sign up and register and be a part of the community That's learning how to understand these times and know what to do. I hope you have a wonderful week. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.